Matthew 27, 32 to 44. <laughs> As they were going out, they met a man from Syrian named Simeon, Simon. 
They forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watching over him there. Above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Those who passed by hurled salts at him shaking their heads and saying you who are going to destroy them the you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in 3 days save yourselves come down from the cross if you are the son of god in the in the same way the chief priests the teachers of the laws and the elders mocked him he saved others they said but he can't save himself He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will, build, we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults at him. Luke 23:32-43 And two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him and when they came to the place called the skull there they crucified him and the criminals one on the right and the other on the left but Jesus was saying father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing and they cast lots dividing up his garments among themselves and the people stood by looking on even and even the rulers were sneering at him saying he saved others let him save himself if this is the Christ of God his chosen one and the soldiers also mocked him coming up to him offering him sour wine and saying if you are the king of the Jews save yourself now there was also an inscription above him this is the king of the Jews and one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him saying are you not the the Christ Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Matthew 28, 1 through 10. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, 
Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Luke 24, 1 through 8. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Amen. Thank you, guys. Good morning, everybody. I heard a rumor that the grave is empty. So uh, I just wanted you to know that there is a rumor going around that that has happened. Um, It's good to be with you. And I just really, really love being with God's people. And I want to invite you to turn in a Bible to John chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, there's one behind you or underneath you or in front of you under one of the seats. Um, We really highly recommend at this church you look at a Bible um, to verify what we're saying. We're not trying to trick you, manipulate you, pull the wool over your eyes. We're just simply sharing a message that has been confirmed over and over again for the last several thousand years. So today is... uh, a holiday, and holidays are symbols. So I want to talk about symbols a little bit with you this morning. Holidays are in and of themselves powerless, but holidays always point to a bigger picture, something beyond just a day on the calendar. And so today is a day we as Christians call Resurrection Sunday, and uh, the world refers to it as Easter And I wanted to share with you uh, what we're really celebrating, what the symbol's really pointing to this morning. And um, I I don't want to shock you or dismay you, but it has nothing to do with bunnies or colored eggs. Although we all love chocolate bunnies, the message, it really has nothing to do with that. Symbols always point to something bigger. Think about, for a second, symbols for death. The electric chair, a tombstone, a coffin. You can tell your friends this week around the water cooler, we had an empty coffin in our church on Easter Sunday. The cross, symbols for death. The cross 
was actually a Roman execution system, like the electric chair. In fact, historians estimate that the Romans crucified over 300,000 people in the time frame they used this death instrument. But for Christians, for us, the cross represents hope and life. That's the weird dichotomy of what we're celebrating today. Is while we have a coffin on our stage and we have we, we have an execution system as a symbol, it represents not death, but life and hope. And so I want to talk about some other symbols this morning. And we're going to start by reading just a few verses in John chapter 19. You follow along. I'm going to start in verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we gather together as Christians. We gather together with friends and family. And Lord, we remember and acknowledge something powerful that happened 2,000 years ago. And Lord, we thank you for that day that we represent today. We thank you for what Jesus did on the cross. We thank you for the empty grave. And Lord, we ask this morning that you teach us what the significance means for us in 2017. Use your words, Lord. Use your Holy Spirit to teach each of us. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. So uh, if you're not aware of what's happening Uh, And why we all get together and why this is such a big day for Christians is because really the whole week is the celebration. Last Sunday, we celebrate what's known as Palm Sunday, where Jesus enters Jerusalem and all the people recognize who he is. And they throw palm leaves down and coats down as he travels over them and they shout Hosanna and they worship him. And then what happens during the week, if you read in the Bible, it says that things get progressively worse This is Jesus' final week, and by Thursday, Jesus is starting to be hunted down by the leaders of the religion in the city, and he has his final meal with his followers, and then that night he's betrayed. He's arrested in the middle of the night on Thursday night. He's taken through a mock trial because they already know what they want to do to him, and then Friday morning, he is put up on the cross and crucified. But then Sunday morning, something powerful happens. In order to understand the significance of what we're talking about this morning, we have to revisit Friday. And so that's what this scripture's from. John chapter 19, where Jesus is on the cross and he's already done everything he was supposed to do. He's fulfilled everything. And then he says something really powerful. And I want to bring up four things for you to take home with you. The first thing he says is verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. Now, in and of itself, this is not a mind blowing statement. I mean, Based on what Jesus has been through, being beaten, 
arrested in the middle of the night, an all-night mock trial, drugged through the city streets, carried his own cross, nailed to a cross. I don't know if any of those things have ever happened to you, but I imagine if you went through it, you might be a little parched. Anybody agree with me? I mean, this is not hard, right? You may be thirsty. So Jesus saying, I am thirsty, after he's been through all this stuff, is not a major thing. But here's the problem. This is the same Jesus here now saying, I am thirsty. He's the same Jesus who met a woman at the well and said this. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. This is not working for me. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This same Jesus who now is saying, I am thirsty, told the woman at the well, the water you're getting ready to use, you're going to have to come back for again. But I could give you water and you'll never thirst again. This same Jesus is now saying, I am thirsty. This is the same Jesus who stood in the temple courtyard and shouted these words. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So the same Jesus who to a woman at the well said, I could give you water and you'll never thirst again. And who stood up in the temple court and shouted, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Now he's sitting on the cross saying, I am thirsty. And the thing you have to ask yourself is, what has happened? What has changed? What's different? Were Jesus' earlier statements a lie? How can the one who was saying, you come to me, you'll never thirst again, now be thirsty himself? Was it all a charade? Was it all a facade? Did his water run dry? Those are questions we have to ask ourselves if we're going to take Scripture seriously. Another thing that Jesus says on the cross is says that they, in response to him asking, I'm saying I'm thirsty, they pass up what the Bible calls wine vinegar. Other translations say sour wine. Sour wine is cheap wine. This is like the watered-down cheap stuff. That, you know, this is not high quality. It's cheap, sour, bitter wine. Now, it makes sense. He's a criminal. He's on the cross. He's dying. You're not going to whip out the family heirloom wine that you've been saving for a hundred years to give it to him. No, they're going to give him the junky stuff. But see, the problem is that this is the same Jesus who his first miracle that he did of all time was to go to a wedding and change water into wine. And the master of the wedding makes this statement. Everyone who brings, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till last. Think about the irony. This is Jesus who gives the best wine and here he is drinking the cheap stuff. What is different? He says, I am thirsty. He provides water for the thirsty. Now he's thirsty. 
He provides the best wine, and now he's drinking the cheap stuff, the watered-down stuff. It says at the end of the passage we read that with that, the end of verse 30, with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. It's a fancy way of saying he died. Makes sense. He's on the cross. He's been bleeding all night. He's been beaten. He doesn't have much left. Anybody understands this. The problem is that this is the same Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead. Check this out. Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This same Jesus who raised a man in the grave for four days to life now gives up his spirit. What has happened? What's different? The man who could give Water to everyone who's thirsty and they'll never thirst again is now saying, I am thirsty. The man who could literally change water into wine and not just water down wine, the best quality there was. The man who gave the best wine now drinks the cheap stuff. The man who calls a dead man out of a tomb and says, take off the grave clothes and let him go free, now gives up his spirit. What does this mean? What does it mean for you and I? You can't just read these as old stories. They, have, they say something powerful. See, the truth, my friends, is that Jesus on the cross, put himself willingly where we all were. You and I were thirsty. And it doesn't just mean physically. It means thirsty for something more, for life, for meaning, for purpose, for truth. Jesus wasn't thirsty. He had the water. Jesus wasn't empty. He was full. Jesus wasn't searching. He had found. He was the answer. But he became thirsty so that you and I don't have to be thirsty any longer. He became what we are so that we could become what he was. Jesus gives the best and takes the bitter cheap stuff on himself. That's what the cross represented. That's what Friday morning represents. Is that Jesus took the cheap junky stuff so that you and I could have the great new fresh stuff. If that doesn't make you excited, you're, I don't know what can get you excited anymore. Jesus took on death so that you and I could have life. He wasn't dying before. He didn't go to the cross for himself or anything he did. The Bible says he could have called 10,000 angels instantly to set himself free. But he chose to take on death and willingly give up his life so that you and I could have life. You and I were dead. You and I were thirsty. You and I had the cheap stuff. But that's why we're so excited. 
That's why Jesus means so much. That's why we sing these songs about him. Because it's so amazing that somebody cared so much that he took all that he had and he gave it up and took on the junk we were carrying for us. See, that's what the communion table represents. If I can get this to work for us. There we go. That's what the communion table represents. The communion table is a place where we come as Christians and it's a symbol. It doesn't it doesn't mean anything by itself. It's I mean, I I don't want to like burst your bubble here, but this is called matzah bread. It's bread without yeast and it's got little marks on it and you buy it like a big Y. Right. And it's matzah bread. It's just bread. It's just a cracker by itself. It's a symbol. In, 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 these, in these cups, grape juice. Welch's? Welch's grape juice. By itself, powerless. Symbols. Just like today can be just a day where you dance around with bunnies and look for colored eggs. Or it can represent something much more powerful. It's a symbol. What is the symbol of the table? It's where we are reminded that there was somebody who loved us so much that he willingly became thirsty so that you and I don't have to be thirsty anymore. He became death so that you and I can have life. And that's exciting. This is not a depressed table. This is an exciting table. That's good news. That's what the word gospel means. Good news. So as Christians... We come together periodically and we remember we take a cracker, we take some grape juice and we remember he broke his body for me so I don't have to be broken. He poured his blood out for me so I don't have to pour my blood out. That is good news. But there's one more thing that Jesus said in that scripture we read. He said, it is finished. Now. When Jesus said that, remember, he was dying. He was on a cross. Think about those standing around watching him, what they would have heard. It is finished. For them, it would have meant the end of his life. Everything was over. It's finished. Even for his disciples, who only one was left there, the others had run. It is finished meant everything was over. Hopeless, emptiness, done. The movement was over, death had won, and our, our, our leader was dying. It was empty, it was, it was crushing, everything was lost. The dream was destroyed. But Jesus meant something else by these words. See, when Jesus died, remember, he took our place. Death had been killing people Death was the final straw. Death was the end of everyone's life. Everyone lives and dies. But Jesus says it is finished. And when he said that, what he was saying is not that the movement is finished. Death is finished. Death is over. No longer does death have to be the end result. That's why when a Christian passes away in this life, 
It's although there's loss here and we feel it, there's rejoicing for Christians because death is not the end any longer. Because Jesus on the cross said it is finished. The reign of Satan is over. The reign of death is over. It's done. Very, very opposite. Very, very opposite of what we heard. When everyone else was thinking that Jesus was saying one thing. That the movement is over. Everything is finished. Jesus was really saying the exact opposite. It's just begun. No, the enemy is finished. Death is finished. So symbols. Symbols. Communion table is a symbol. Maybe for you, the symbols haven't meant something deeper. Maybe for you, this is just Easter, where we have bunnies and eggs and we don't really know why, but it's fun. Maybe for you, Christmas is just, well, another holiday where you get gifts. Who doesn't like gifts? Maybe for you, church is just this building that religious people go to. And if you go every once in a while, you're going to feel better about yourself. It's a symbol for you. Maybe for you, it doesn't mean anything more. But I'm here to tell you, there's something deeper going on here. We're not just here as Christians to make ourselves feel better. We're not just here because we have to be. We're here because this is not just a table. It's a symbol of life. When I eat the bread and when I drink the grape juice, I'm remembering somebody else took it all in my place. And it changes the way I live my life. It changes everything about me. And like Tom talked about in the beginning, the end is not the cross. The end is not it is finished. The end is not death. Because Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. The, the women went to the tomb and there was nobody there. Death had been defeated. And so as a Christian, I say, I not only believe Jesus died on a cross for me. I not only believe he became thirsty so that I could have drink and be satisfied. I not only believe that he took it all on himself for me, but I believe that God raised him from the dead. That's what it means to be a Christian. So I want to, first of all, give us an opportunity. I don't know everybody here. Easter, some people like, you know, I'm going to church on Easter. Yeah, but you're not a Christian. Doesn't matter. If something happens, I want to make sure I'm at least got some protection. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads this morning. I want to give you the opportunity. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you can be saved. How do you become a Christian? How do you make sure that when you end your life here, your end is not death, but just the beginning? How can you make sure it is finished means life for you? This is how you acknowledge that Jesus went to the cross for you. And you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. You don't have any more proof than I do, but you believe. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you have never prayed this, I want you to pray it with us. We're all Christians are going to pray it as well. And if you've never done it, I want to give you the opportunity to become a Christian today. You know what? We believe all kinds of stuff in our world. This has more evidence. This has more proof. And this has more life in it than any of the emptiness you're believing. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. Christian, non-Christian, pray this with me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I need you. That I'm thirsty for something more. And I believe what the Bible says. 
I believe you went to the cross for me. And that when you said, I am thirsty, you became thirsty for me so that I can have everything. And I believe that when you died on that cross, you died in my place because I need someone to do that for me. And I believe that on Sunday morning, God raised you from the dead and that I have been raised from the dead with you. So I invite you into my life today. Become Lord of my life. Be my Savior. I accept your death for me. And I become a Christian. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that for the first time, we would love to just get to know you. Uh, we're not going to put your picture up on the screen and embarrass you, but it just means a lot to us because, see, all of us did that once. You know, all of us. I mean, if you're a Christian, you have gone through that process. Now, I want to talk about one more symbol before we leave. You ever been watching a basketball game and the score is 100 to 10? And there's five seconds left on the clock. And somebody from the 100-point team swishes a three-pointer. Now, when that shot goes off, typically they'll say something. The announcers and commentators will say something. Now, if it's me shooting, they're going to say air ball. But if they swish it, there's a statement they'll make. They just put the nail in the coffin. You ever heard that? They just put the nail in the coffin. What they mean for that is there's no more hope. The team with 10, give it up. You have lost the game. There's no way for you to come back. That shot seals the deal and puts the nail in the coffin. Here we go. No. I'm having all kinds of issues this morning here. There we go. Put the nail in the coffin. Did everybody get a nail this morning when you came in? Hold your nail up. Don't jab your neighbor in the eye, but just hold it up. There's a reason why we gave out a nail this morning. This nail's a symbol. This nail represents your past. Think about your past for a second. If you're 15 years old, your past is short. If you're over 15, it gets increasingly longer. So maybe as you're thinking about your past, you have a lot to think about. All the mistakes, all the regrets, all the lapses of judgment, all of the errors, all of the pain, all of the betrayal, all of the abuse, all of it. Think about it all for a second. Put it all in this nail. Maybe you had abusive parents. Put it in there. Maybe you were the nastiest human being ever that lived the earth. Put it in there. Maybe you said mean things. Maybe you did. Maybe you stole. Maybe you've got criminal history. Put it all in there. Put all of the past in there. It's a symbol. This is just a nail. But when we all of a sudden do that, it becomes something Powerful. It represents all of it in this nail. 
Now, I want to encourage you to help me reverse this statement, put the nail in the coffin, because when you're in a basketball game and that statement is used, it means hopelessness. The end, it's finished, it's done. But just like Jesus reversed, it is finished. Let's reverse, put the nail in the coffin. I want to invite you this morning at your leisure to come up with your nail which represents your pain and your brokenness and your mistakes and your errors and your frustrations and your anger, maybe justified anger. Put it in there. Don't carry it around. Put it all in there. And I want to invite you to come up and put the nail in the coffin. And then I want to invite you to take a piece of bread and a piece, a cup of grape juice, go back to your seat and take communion. And what you're doing is you're taking all of your past, all of your hurt, all of your anger, all of your justified frustration, all of the dreams that were broken, and you put them in the coffin, and then you pick up life. And you say, I'm going to choose this table, not this one. I'm going to choose this, not that. So we're going to play some music. And at your leisure, come on up. And if we get a line, let's just go along the outside here. Drop your nail in the coffin and pick up life and then take communion. Amen? Let's do that this morning.
lost forever. Yeah, to be in that fire. Now there's fire inside of me. Get to your seat. Just hold your elements, your bread and your grape juice. We'll take it together, okay? If you didn't, that's okay.
So symbols. Symbols. We took a nail that represented all of our pain. As humans, we have pain. We have loss. We have dreams broken. We have things that we wish were different. We put them all in a nail. And we threw it in an empty coffin. And we took up another symbol. Cracker. Thing of grape juice. The Bible says that this cracker represents Jesus' body. That when he was on the cross, just like he became thirsty so that we could drink, just like he died so that we could have life, he was broken, beaten, and bruised so that we don't have to be. So when we eat this together, we remember this. The symbol is much more when it has meaning behind it. So pray with me. Father, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you loved us enough to go to the cross and endure the punishment, endure the pain, endure the broken body that you had to endure so that we could be healed, so that we could have life. And we've re- we know it repre- it's represented in this cracker. So as we eat this together, Lord, we remember what you did for us on Friday morning. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you eat this together? Just like the nail is a symbol, the grape juice is a symbol. It represents blood. I'm really, really glad we get to use grape juice and not real blood. Come on, things you know you're thinking and nobody will say out loud. It represents blood shed by Jesus on the cross. Blood represents life. And when Jesus shed his blood... He gave up his life so that you and I don't have to. Because when the body is done and you breathe your last, death is not the end for you. Death is not where it stops. You pass through into life. That's what Psalm 23 means. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me. And because you're with me, Death no longer has a hold over me. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus' blood. We thank you that this grape juice represents blood shed on the cross 2,000 years ago. And that blood washed away every sin, every past that I put on that nail. And I choose today life in the blood of Jesus and not death of my own. So as we drink together, Lord, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's drink together. Amen. Symbols. Symbols. Symbols are powerless without you involved. This has no power unless you make a choice in life. You can choose to be back in this coffin tomorrow, or you can choose to walk in this table. Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock, I'm going to go on Facebook Live, and I'm going to burn this puppy with all of those nails in it. You can watch it live, 
I'm not going to look at any of these nails, pick them up. Oh, this is Matt's nail. Oh, you know, I'm not going to do that. It's gone. All right. And I'm going to burn it. And yeah, they're not going to completely burn up because I can't get the fire that hot. But they're going to go into the ashes and be gone. All right. I want to encourage you to leave them there. Don't come back here Wednesday afternoon and dig around for your nail. Pick those problems back up and all those pains and hurts and start carrying them around with you like an ID card. Hey, how you doing? Well, let me pull out my nail and show you. No, no, no. It's in the grave now. Use this. Let this be your identity table. How you doing? Man, I have Jesus flowing through me. Man, I have life flowing through me. While you were chasing down chocolate bunnies, I was embracing life yesterday. Amen? Everybody stand up. <laughs> Little different spin on our Easter service. So I want to pray for you. Listen, if you prayed for the first time and asked Jesus into your heart, we would love to meet you. I would love to just talk with you and get you plugged in somewhere and help you to grow and, and mature in, in Jesus. What? Oh, my wife's nodding at me. Did I forget something? Um, and uh, you know what? If you don't have a church, we have one that I think is pretty good. So you're welcome to come. And um, we're just going to pray life over you as you go home now and, and throughout your week. And so, Father, I thank you so much for life. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus, that you became thirsty. Thank you, Jesus, that you drank the bitter, cheap wine. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave up your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that you declared it finished. And Lord, we take on satisfaction, we take on fulfillment, we take on healing, we take on life, we take on victory. Lord, we give up everything that is our past that's been haunting us and dragging us down, and we receive life today in you. Bless my friends this week, Lord. Bless them in every single way, Lord, Monday through Friday. Walk with them and remind them, Holy Spirit, whisper in their ear, you are alive, you are not dead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week, my friends.